This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Bars and restaurants have long been a targeted venue for digital out-of-home media startups. The attraction being scale, dwell time, and lots of products and services that could be put in front of people sitting around having a drink or three. But there's been a lot of roadkill through the years because selling into these kinds of venues was time-consuming and hard, the cost of installs was substantial, and most of the operators didn't want to pay for anything. Much of that has changed except for the evergreen fact that venue operators are still highly attracted to free with benefits. A couple of ambitious startups have emerged in recent years chasing the space. And arguably the most aggressive has been the LA firm Loop Media, which markets a service called Loop TV. The selling proposition is very straightforward and familiar. Qualified venues get a free media player and free video and music content. What's different from the past is Loop service is all built around streaming and uses the connectivity and TVs already in a venue. So the capital cost to Loop is just an Android set-top box, and that gets put in a box or envelope and sent to the venue, which then plugs it in, connects to the internet, and uses an activation code to get things rolling. Minimal hardware costs and zero labor. The company is now north of 71,000 screens, with venues in all 50 U.S. states, and is now expanding beyond the U.S. I had a great chat with CEO and founder John Neerman, talking about the company, how ads are sold, what content resonates, and how he found his way from high-level executive jobs with Disney and Electronic Arts into connected TVs in places like bars, health clubs, and small retail. John, thank you for joining me. Can you give me the rundown on what Loop TV is all about? Sure, Dave, you bet. We provide streaming TV for businesses. Uh, It's free ad supported, uh, or you can do a subscription if you like, but a majority of the businesses are free ad supported. Uh, Think about what you do at home as a consumer using Roku or perhaps Fire Stick and then do streaming on that. The difference is you're watching TV series and movies primarily. In public venues like we support, it's premium short form content. Think of music videos. We're the largest provider of music videos, for example, across the nation. So very contextualized, customizable type of content. What's the business model? So we provide it for free. It's ad supported, especially coming out of the pandemic. A lot of these public venues, we're looking for ways to cut costs. So what we've done is we've taken the cost of what you might have to provide for cable and satellite, for digital signage, if you're doing menu boards, for licensing, if you're doing it properly. And we've taken that all away and put it into the loop player. So if you don't mind showing ads, which a lot of public venues don't because they're already doing that anyway, you could get this content for free. So our model then is, you know, the ads that we get for the content uh, that we work with various ad supply partners. Or if it's subscription, then we have kind of a set price per month if you don't want ads to kind of uh, change the vibe of your venue. 
I'm, I'm guessing a hell of a lot of, uh, like a, a healthy percentage are, are willing to put up with the ads. They're, maybe that's not the right term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Will, willing, willing to have ads uh, if they don't have to expend the uh, operating expense on, on the service. You guessed right, over 90%. So, I mean, that, that's typically the way the model goes and, and people are, are more than happy to have that experience because, like I said, you're, you're kind of out there anyway. You're, you're partially distracted at a bar and restaurant or at a doctor's office so or you're just kind of captive. So they don't really mind it as much as they do at home, ironically. What, what, what's the footprint that you have right now? We're in all 50 states. We're in Canada. Uh, we're testing in Australia, New Zealand, and soon in the UK. But we started the US here in 2020. We rolled out and you know, we've got all the major metro areas. So we've got anything as small as a corner pub all the way up to a university campus. Think of everything in between. It could be an airport. It could be a mall. It could be a gymnasium. You you think of it a public venue, and that's what we cover. And d- does it tend to tilt quite a bit to bars and pubs, that sort of thing, as opposed to fitness facilities? You know, it's a big. I'd say a large, the largest percentage of our business for sure, bars, restaurants. But you know, jibs I'd say are probably one of the top three. Doctors' offices are great. Uh, you know, for gyms, think of it this way: so we provide music. So even if you're at a place where you watch sports and you have multiple screens, chances of having one of those screens on audio is pretty low. So venues will still play music. So why not have a screen showing music videos? You know, kind of just kind of play it overhead and it covers Mm -hmm. that aspect of the business. So really anything, if you you can think of um, if you're changing your oil in a Jiffy Lube, for example, I mean, think of the sick of the junk that they have on some of the TVs. Sometimes. You like sitting there in a bar and having Judge Judy scowl at you, Dave. It's no yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need that. You're out having a good time. You just yeah. don't need her or Wolf Blitzer kind of, it just doesn't, it kills the vibe. And, and do you hear that from your, your venue operators that, you know, they, they just want something that's kind of inoffensive. It's not Fox News. It's not CNN or MSNBC. And it's not Judge Judy or anything. It's just it's just providing passive entertainment. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it really enhances the environment. You know, so I talked earlier about contextualize. If you're an Italian restaurant, you want nothing but Italian music or Sinatra and drone footage of Italy all day, you could do that. So it really just kind of adds to the atmosphere. And, and if you've got local news or something playing, a bunch of talking heads. It's not exactly that escape is a moment that you're looking for when you're kind of going out and enjoying that time away from reality, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that it can cut out uh, some of the costs of digital signage. It, do you enable a venue operator to have some time to put in like, you know, Thursdays are happy hours starting at three, running till seven or whatever? Absolutely. And it's super easy. You just get on your laptop. You know, it, it's very intuitive how to walk through it. Throw your logo on the screen. So if you're Billy's Bar and Grill, you got the old Billy's logo up at the corner. And, you know, happy hours, like you said, every Wednesday, Tuesday night, we've got uh, Billy and the Beaters here on Saturday. So everything that you used to do with digital signage, you could have the crawlers underneath. 
You could have full screens, you could have split screen. You're able to do that with your loop system, all part of it for free. Okay, that was going to be my question. That's not that's not the fee based one. That's that's included in what you're doing if you get the media player for free and the whole bit. Exactly. So we provide the media player for free. You know, we we try to make it as very low cost and, and low barrier as possible for people just to plug this loop player up and get going. Mm-hmm. And and the players are Android boxes, right? Yes, correct. So low cost, you just when you do a deployment, uh, all you're really doing is sticking in a UPS envelope or whatever and sending it off to site and you're done? Yeah, that's it. And if you kind of think about how a lot of these bars of restaurants especially worked in the past, and still many of them today, you've got these giant AV racks full with computers and, and big expensive equipment that's bulky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our players like a little, you know, it's about the size of a Roku player and Apple TV. You can Velcro it to the back of your screen. You can put it on a rack underneath. It's just something you're used to. And it's odd because this really never existed over the past few years until then um, because of just the AV stuff. But everybody's used to using that at home. So it's quite easy for them to take that into their businesses and get it hooked up. So, yeah, if you buy an Apple TV box and plug it into the back of your TV, then, you, you know, you it loads, you, you find the application. In this case, you'd find loop. And then there's probably, what, an activation code or something. And you're off yeah. to the races. Yeah, for us, you have to have the specific loop player. So we don't want to have, you know, other type of content right. or anything that yeah. may not be licensed. But yeah, you you load it, you sign in, you put in your code that you get from us, and you're good to go. And there's a bunch of channels, right? Yeah. We've got about 100 music channels. So think of this playlist. So, you know, one of, a, one of our popular ones, for example, is Beach Country. I mean, I don't... <laughs> who knew? Right? Yeah, I don't so, know what that is, but okay. <laughs> so you kind of get all these. We have uh, uh, Darcy who does our Darcy Fulmer does our our. She is fantastic, you know, just in terms of customizing and putting all the all the playlists together for us and curating and uh, really on the pulse. Long time music industry executive, uh, great relationships with all the labels. So she really knows how to customize these things and. We kind of weekly look at what are the popular channels we could adjust. We put in seasonal channels. Uh, we put in celebratory type channels. So obviously, a bunch of Halloween ones now coming up. Christmas is always a popular time. So the venue has over 100 of those to choose from. And then you've got about 50 non-music channels. So if you want everything from Looney Tunes, which believe it or not, is is a popular one for people to choose from. Cause again, you just kind of looking at visual type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but to fail videos, viral videos, we've got the TikTok channel. So it's a great brand, uh, world surf league. So if you're at surfing store and, you know, hunting, fishing, anything that again is contextual, you kind of customize that environment. If you're in autos and cars and you want those type of, of playing all day, you can do that too. So I'm guessing you have a pretty big content edit team and also have to have folks who specialize in uh, licensing rights and approvals, that sort of thing, right? You know, it's it's funny. We do, our team is so small. The company itself is about 70 people. I think on the content side, we're, you know, between the studio, the creative team, the curators, it's less than 10, believe it or hmm. not. Okay. So this group has 
we're, we're very, very lucky. I already mentioned Darcy, but we got uh, Justice who runs our, our content and uh, Luke and all sorts of guys that have been with us for a long time who understand what the customers need. We talk to the venues, we get ideas of what they want, what's going to be popular. And then we strike deals with these companies. We do the editing, the customizing, and, and then get it all ready to go. So are you able to say to you know, the, the Surf Channel or, or, or somebody like that, that here's the format, here's the, the run times that we would like, and so on, and they will send that to you? Or do you pretty much have to take their stuff and then touch it? It's both. So okay. that you're right. There, there are some that could just do an MRSS feed and just kind of say, here you go. Mm-hmm. And we give them the specs and that works. Others will just kind of dump a bunch of stuff in a folder and then our editing team goes at it. Are, are there obvious trends and things that you know that people will like and other ones that you've tried and thought, well, let's just see. And then you find out it, it, it resonates or it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because a lot of, it's funny you say trend, you know, so trending type things like Mm -hmm. what's kind of popular now people, people like to get those headlines. So if you could picture a screen, it's full of visuals, you know, it's, it's full of kind of subtitles and context because you got to be able to understand what you're looking at without lip reading. And that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason we know that talking heads sitting down, even like you're used to with, say, ESPN or, or some of those shows, it doesn't necessarily work that well if you just got a bunch of people up there talking. So we've gotten that feedback. We understand that. It's very strong visual. It has to be short, you know, kind of a two, three minute type thing. And you have to have enough hours per day where it's not repetitive. And that's super mm-hmm. important as well. So would you run this, like, it, would a, a three hour window or whatever run? every day for like a week or a month or something like that? Yeah. I mean, typically for us, we'll do at least six hours. Some of these playlists are are 20, you know, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. So, and then not only that, but if it repeats, it'll shuffle. So the chances of that actually seeing it, well, it really doesn't exist. So you can, you can kind of understand if you've got all those files in there and you're shuffling, you're not going to see the same order again. So it's it's not only the customers, it's clearly the employees that you don't want to get fatigued. Right. Do, do you call this a digital out of home or is it like consumer TV or some sort of segment having to do with fast or for streaming or like, what's the nomenclature for this? It's a fantastic question. And I laugh because it's like it's what we're talking about all the time these days, <laughs> because it's trying to define it to the advertising community, especially. Right. Yeah. For us, it's simple. It's TV. It's just TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't you know, think about where you're watching your TV. If you're on your couch or if you're in a bar, you're watching the same TV. It's different content. This is premium television. This is not just kind of all YouTube user generated stuff. You know, we've got branded partners. So for us, we're very much connected TV, CTV um, for out of home. So when we talk to the ad partners, it's like, look, you can take your CTV budget and you can put this towards loop because it is premium TV. If you think lots of times when they're thinking out of home or digital out of home, they're thinking billboards, you know, they're thinking that type of display, as you know, very well. So we're we're kind of developing and introducing that space of it's just TV. It really is. It's CTV. 
So think of Loop that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been involved in this space for, God, almost 25 years now. And I can remember when I started a digital out-of-home media network in the early 2000s, going to media planners and they're looking at me with their heads tilted going, what, what the hell are you going on about? Uh, <laughs> and at that time, the, you know, the people who were advising me and I was working with were saying somehow or other, we have to tap into the TV bucket and right. call ourselves in some way TV because there's way more money in that bucket than there certainly was at that time in the out of home bucket. But that's changed a lot, but I, I would imagine there's still like connected TV is still probably a, bigger number to tap into than out of home. For sure. It's significantly higher still. I, I think both are growing to your point. I mean, digital out of home, the budgets are, are certainly increasing. It's one of the fastest growing components of advertising mix, which is mm -hmm. great. You know, but CTV is also that way. You know, people have shifted away from the traditional linear TV, cable, you know, et cetera. They've moved into streaming. So it's not it's not unlike any evolution. It's something we often try to talk about as well. If you kind of think back to 2007 when Netflix started and then, you know, Hulu came on and all these channels, you're like, well, who the hell are they? You know, well, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm used to buying NBC and, and Fox and, you know, I just wrapped my head around the weather channel and ESPN and now you're trying to introduce this streaming stuff. So today, of course, most of the people are buying streaming. And so for us, we're, we're in that same evolution for the businesses out of home, kind of where they were in 2007 and the consumers like, look, this is this is another form of television. So you've got to treat it that way with your funnel of advertising spin. Otherwise, you're really missing out on a fantastic mix uh, and opportunity to reach these consumers in a captive way. So right. It's always this, a constant education going on when you're introducing something. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. So you're, you're competing against all kinds of different media, obviously, but more specifically uh, ones like Crackle and maybe even the Samsung TV and LG's TV like that that kind of shows up on your smart TV whether you want it or not? Yeah, and again, it's about licensing. Um, you know, a lot of these companies aren't licensed for out-of-home, believe it or not. It's a whole different set of licenses, especially on the music side. You know, you have to have performance rights. Uh, you have to, you know, and venues could get big fines. You mm -hmm. cannot plug your phone in and play Spotify, for example. You can't turn YouTube on and play those videos. That's the, the, the not, lots do. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> they they do for cross sure. their fingers. Exactly, and a lot of and, and they will continue to do that. You know, just it's like people are seeing the sixty-five mile an hour speeding thing, and they're going to get away with seventy-five. But yeah. you know, 
push it up to 95, you're pressing your luck. So if you got a lot of venues out there and they, they will do random checks. So for us, it really truly though is about, we can't control that side of it. But what we can control is providing a reason for them to use us. And that's typically through the content and just through ease of use and affordability. Right. So you, you can you can say to your end user customer base, use us. It's going to be reliable. It's stable. And guess what? You're not going to get a cease and desist letter from YouTube or Spotify or anybody like that. That's right. Yeah. Or the associations, ASCAP, BMI, all those guys mm -hmm. out there that are just kind of tracking and, and waiting to find people for public, public display. Uh, w one thing that interested me was how you are doing, I think this happened within the last year or so, you've activated self-serve ads. I'm, I'm curious how that works and uh, why you went down that path. I, I, I suspect it has a lot to do with somehow or other tapping the local ads that are really hard to sell unless you've got like an army of salespeople. That's exactly right. No, you nailed it on the head. So, you know, as you, you know, your time in, uh, in this industry, local ads is a big part of it. You know, mm -hmm. you've got your national regional ads, but local ad budgets are, are large and growing from what we can see. So the ad server that we created, Bob Gruders, who's our chief revenue officer, came from Facebook, and Instagram, and he has a lot of experience with the ad server that they used over there. And it, it's very easy. It's kind of a self-serve type thing. So we're kind of being innovative and in providing this for an ability for you to put your ad on TV that way where you could go in as a, as a, you know, any type of business. And if you want to have your ad on loop and across our network, you know, whether it's locally in your town, your county, your state, um, you'll be able to do that. So it's a very, very simple way just to go and uh, upload an image or a video and have that play. Do you give them any help in terms of uh, video production, like through templates and things like that? Yeah, we do. Yeah, there's there's easy templates for people to follow. And again, we try to make it as simple as possible. These The closer you can get to plug and play for everybody, mm -hmm. first of all, they don't have time. They don't have patience. If it's too complicated, they've got 50 other things they'd rather deal with or have to deal with. So you, you've just got to make it super simple for them. So for us to be able to say, if you just want to kind of throw your logo in, we'll do the rest. You know, right. it's it's that automatic. And you, you've done this with a like a third-party partner, right? I, I think it's Orca TV. Yeah, with Orca TV, they're here in Santa Monica with us uh, in the LA area, and uh, fantastic partner. You know, they've been a partner with us for a couple of years now, and just some really talented people. Uh, Mike Woods over there, and ability to develop—they've uh, just done a great job. I, I assume this is something you theoretically could have done on your own, but then you have to support it and and you know keep keep it up and secure and everything else it's just easier to go with somebody who focuses on that yeah it is and you know liam mccallum who runs our tech is he's been with us from the beginning um in fact liam came with me from electronic arts he used to run ea's kind of online gaming out in asia so very capable smart tech guy you know but a small tech team kind of to my point earlier Sometimes we just have to work with others to to get it done. And and uh, Mike and the Orca team, we had a great relationship with, and they had the capability and the ability to do it now. In terms of sales, are you going direct? Uh, I realize for hyper local, you're, you're using this uh, self serve platform when you can, but 
Are, do you have a direct sales force or are you relying on uh, programmatic partners? We do have a direct sales force. That really only ramped up, I'd say, over the last quarter, so about the last three months. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, you know, we had to really build our scale. We had to build our distribution. And once we got to about 20,000 venues last fall, we could start to set, sow the seeds for direct. And, you know, as you know, that just takes time. So kind of over six to nine months, we went out there, you know, spread the word. And then the deals started coming across as we continued to grow. You know, we're over 70,000 uh, now. So, you know, the, we've had that ability to move from just pure programmatic. I mean, we were in programmatic like open auction and that was it. And mm-hmm. then the bottom kind of fell out of that market, as we all know you know, the end of last year and the beginning of the year. So having the diversity now of direct sales and local ads is, is going to be much better for us going forward. Yeah, I was curious about programmatic. I was in New York last week for a couple of days and, and dipped, dipped my head into the DPAA conference yeah. and chatted with some people. And uh, I, I got a sense of kind of frustration and disillusionment from from them about uh the promise versus the real return that they're seeing out of programmatic, which is always challenging to me because I don't understand what the hell they're going on about. But I gather that uh, it's it's not really generating this the sales that uh, you know the revenues that operators like you need. Well, I think it's a couple of things. What I think there was definitely a dip, um, you know, and, and people. It's, you know, for no fault of the programmatic partners and the advertisers weren't spending as much, but Mm -hmm. that's come back. And I think the other thing is probably what you were tapping into or or hearing, because we were also at that conference, was this what we just discussed about TV. You know, how do you define where does that where those monies go and programmatic? You know, how do the agencies allocate these? Are the programmatic partners doing a good job and, and really advocating for television, CTV, and digital out of home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's potentially where some of the attention could come from. But, you know, we've we've uh, we've been very fortunate to have some great programmatic partners uh, step up. And then we've also feel like there are some that could do a lot more, you know, mm-hmm. and, and certainly in defining this the way that we're talking about would benefit them. Uh, it would benefit the clients and it would obviously benefit people like us down the stream. Is the right mix having you primarily sell direct and then supplement that with programmatic versus relying on programmatic? I think it just takes a minute to get there. I think I think it's always going to be like a probably a best case, like a 50-50 type thing. I think programmatic's mm-hmm. always going to be a big part of it. So, you know, direct needs to build, but programmatic works. It, it's efficient. Um, you know, there's, there's some great ads and there's some great dollars that kind of come through that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have all different types, right? You've, you've got everything you need, but as part of the mix for us, I think direct and local will certainly increase. You're not alone doing this. There are a handful of other companies currently chasing this kind of business. And it's a, it's a medium, so to speak, that's been around since the early 2000s, uh, you know, the, the whole build it and they will come thing. At that yeah. time, it was very expensive to do. Now, as, as, as you know more than just about anybody, it's not as expensive to do. It, it, can, where are you at with it? Well, it's funny because <laughs> where are we ever in the evolutionary scale? It's like you start a business 10 years ago. How many times have you heard people say you were just too early? 
You're just mm-hmm. ahead of your time. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> and I think lived that a few I, times. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I think for us, to your point, people have tried. Uh, I don't know if the timing has been right. I don't know if the content or the technology has been right, but it feels like it's right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and certainly coming on the success of streaming and, and how that blew up, it became huge and quote unquote, the streaming wars and everybody's talking about it. Well, they completely ignored out of home. And mm-hmm. I get it. You know, the consumer pie is, is bigger but this pie is not small. So I think the big companies aren't focused on it because if you're, if you're those big companies, you've already built your libraries with the content of TVs, movies, you spent billions of dollars. Uh, You'd have to do a whole different thing to build this with this type of content and targeting. And even if you're a big, a big player consumer doesn't mean you can all of a sudden have 50,000 locations overnight. It's, it's a long sell-in process for a lot of these venues. Mm -hmm. So I think we're at a very good place. I think that we're about 2% penetrated in this market between us and the other players. And there's kind of a few private players that are are doing this streaming TV, uh, either by ad supported or subscription. Uh, And if you add us all up, I, I truly believe that, you know, we're about maybe one or 2% penetrated. So a great green field ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm sure you don't want to go on at length about your competitors, but how how do you distinguish yourself from them? Well, I think if you look at other uh, competitors out there, you know, so some will charge an activation fee, some will take a credit card. Uh, Those are barriers to entry, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that we don't think are necessary and, and not great for customer relations. Because the minute you throw that credit card down, you know, you feel better as a company, I think, because you think you've got a path to revenue or more secure revenue. But you start having things, you know, where you get disagreement with a customer and credit card comes in play. It's not a good thing. So I think for us, it's it's just more of um, a pure relationship of let's make this work. So I think, you know, people are trying different models. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's ads of support, a subscription. It goes back to the old cable days as well. Remember, there used to be big activation fees or they wave activation. So it just uh, it's part of the business. So I think for us, we deal in premium content. You know, we by far, I believe, have the top premium content. We're really the only one that had those music videos uh, with Sony, Warner, Universal, even Disney. We've got all the licenses from the majors. So uh, that really sets us apart. Your background is with Disney, as you just mentioned, and with Electronic Arts. How did you find your way into this back in, I think it was 2016? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I was with Disney 15 years. Um, I went out to Asia with him at the end. I was actually president of Disney Asia for several years and then uh, went over to Electronic Arts when they were really growing their online and mobile games. Uh, they, in fact, we launched the first online and mobile game for EA out in Asia, you know, so um, that was just really, really opportunistic time for me to learn uh, about that industry. And so I, I really enjoyed that. But also you got that entrepreneurial bug. You, you see all these companies being built around you and you're kind of thinking, damn, I, I, I really want to do that. You know, so <laughs> I kind of I took about 22 years in corporate and decided that I wanted to be linked somehow to entertainment media mm-hmm. technology. And, you know, we had a couple different iterations that before it ultimately ended up here as loop. 
And, and what did uh, family and friends think of, uh, you know, going from pretty substantial companies to uh, a media startup? Oh, the, the typical mix. I lost my mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's just start with that and stop with that, probably. But uh, it was like, why would you leave these jobs? You know, these stable jobs, great, mm-hmm. great titles and access. And it's true. You've got that card with Disney, EA, and President on it, um, you can open up a lot of doors. And then all of a sudden you throw like co-founder, CEO, Loop Media. It's like, who? What? You know, everything is, you just really do have to kind of start over in a sense. But I found that exhilarating. And it's been up and down and sideways and easy and hard and rewarding and regretting and every emotion (laughs) that you go through but to get to where we are today is uh, extremely satisfying. And, you know, again, go go through bumpy times this past year. The previous year was great. You know, we launched our company. Our revenue went from $5 million to $30 million. We went on the New York Stock Exchange. And in this past year, we kind of got hit, you know. So, but we're, we're, uh, we're fine and we're coming out of it. Looking forward to this coming year. And that, that's a good way to wrap this up. I am, I'm curious what we'll see out of the loop in uh, the next 12 months. Well, I think you're going to see us be really aggressive with distribution. You know, I think a couple of things that we were we lack from awareness. You know, we're undiscovered, and so a lot of people just don't know about us. So you're going to mm-hmm. see more marketing. You're going to see more brand building. Uh, you'll see more partnerships. You know, you'll see more engagement with with uh, clients, consumers, and venues. Uh, for example, we're launching a new trivia product. Uh, it's hosted trivia. You have the opportunity to, you know, that'll become interactive soon. We're looking at various other things that'll become interactive within the venues. So I think it's a, it's a very exciting year to just increase that engagement and take advantage of connecting with those consumers. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned some of the like, doing other things in the venue. That's one of your competitors, maybe not a direct competitor, but does similar work. They've focused uh, as, as opposed to. Uh, just pure entertainment. They focused on kind of venue operations and, and helping helping to sell more stuff and communicate to staff and everything. Is you're kind of angling towards that as well. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, you could take your loop player. We have it right now and use it as back of house for for staff communications because okay. a lot of staff they're not going to read email and no. in, you know. So if you just kind of have the screen with the messaging going. Uh, back a house, you could certainly use a loop system for that. So we definitely, engagement is a big part of what we're looking at in the future. All right, uh, John, this was terrific. I appreciate spending some time with you. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciated it. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 69 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 169, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. 
You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.